Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for me You'll be training for you May 17th, 2023 Episode 54 I'm going to share some feelings on a topic that actually in my career of podcasting across numerous um, brands and, and platforms over many years now, it's probably, yeah, at least, yeah, definitely easily over 500 total uh, combined episodes. And, uh, and, and um, strangely enough, whereas... Or, or strangely enough, despite having this um, issue be very core to my my spiritual, political, ethical development, uh, I don't think I ever have addressed it uh, as a headline topic, maybe in passing, but um, obviously that indicates that it's not a cause that I wear on my sleeve um, as much as I used to in earlier stages of my life. But, um, but I really, but so now I, I really do want to, um, take that moment to acknowledge that this is something that it deserves. That I'm, I'm looking forward to this, um, to this opportunity to give, put my full attention on this topic, um, now with, whatever the call it the wisdom that I have now at this age um the perspective I have and uh and just a deeper more soulful more uh more life experience more dimensions of nuance (laughs) because it's easy when you're young to have a very black and white very um extremist political view where it just seems so easy to you or it seems like such a no-brainer how the world should be people should stop cutting down trees people should stop torturing animals and using their skins um, and maybe even eating them to certain extents or 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 farming them in certain ways Um, and you can become very easily militant and be on crusades and join the sort of groupthink cult and all of that, all of the chemistry of being in the prime of the most hormonally charged and dopamine incentivized stage of your life um, from from that Your Brain on Porn research. Um, I'm spacing on the, the name of the, the scholar, but he his work transmitted to me probably what I would consider to be the most precious unit of 
scientific knowledge that I have ever learned and that has shaped my entire outlook and will for the rest of my life. And it is this one fact that he shared, which is that in the... I don't remember exactly the cutoff point or what the gradient is, how that, you know, how it exactly works. It basically says when you were a young person, you have 75% more dopamine than after you were, you've become a mature adult. So yeah, that's going to differ with all kinds of factors, genetics and environment and whatever. But, but generally speaking, that is like the scientific basis for the entire like John Hughes enterprise if I if I'm remembering his name correctly (laughs) getting too old to remember names but the entire comedic motif of the youth against the adults and the adults being zombified and being so lame and boring and disconnected and it wasn't just this sort of language generation gap it's like literally they seem lobotomized and zombified those are your parents when you're growing up like how is it that your parents don't know how to have fun that they're just zombified that they seem so sedated and and low energy and um that's obviously not all adults and uh you know (laughs) there are people who are adults who are still bouncing off the walls like Sandor Katz, who is my guru of of all things uh, lacto and wild fermentation, and to me, and you know, he, he's like uh, a Richard. He's like the Richard Simmons health nut uh, par excellence, based on having a a, a wild fermentation um, element. You know, that's uh, that's that's a a big factor of his diet, and I'm I'm. I owe, I owe him a lot, but going back to that uh, that point about yeah, for most people, it's this tragic arc of life that um, you may not have known this scientifically speaking about how the brain works and how you know these chemicals come and go, but you know there's a lot of chemicals that we focus on. Um, that we obsess about but just that fact alone explains so much like how gullible we can be how driven by our ego we can be how driven by the need to join and be acknowledged by peers and to be in the in crowd all of these survival strategies that are front loaded with that extra dopamine that is what wires us so hard for whatever we're enthusiastic about as we're growing up. And it's like, sadly, adults who are in a cargo cult of their more dopamine-rich earlier selves, they cheat that neurochemistry with methamphetamines and cocaine, you know? And and I think there, I know there are way more holistic ways to um to sort of find that d- dopaminergic fountain of youth and uh, I'll save that for another conversation but what's so interesting about my discovery of that is like oh I, everything to I now look through that that framework I'm like yeah nothing is going nothing is the same to you now 
Nothing is the same as it was then. And there's all, there's very little you can do about it. There are some things you can do about it. But that's just the natural course of things. That's the way it has to be. It's the way it's meant to be. And, and you can't... <laughs> you... you, you um, You can't just be nostalgic in that cargo cult of your youth. That'll create weird, distorted problems that 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 you have to mature and evolve beyond. So, uh, with that PSA out of the way, I say that, and I realize that because I think about going back to activism and i haven't even said what it is yet that i'm talking about which is animal rights and so animal rights i think it's it was i built it up to this point because if you were a whether you were left on the right or whatever you no matter what your like relative um positioning was whether you were in the animal rights movement or you were a, a victim of its acts of sabotage or whatever, you know, you could be, whatever your proximity to it or your relationship to it, the fact is it stood out among all the other modalities of activism as one of the ones possibly the most extremist of of all of them and 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 people were i remember back in my day like it was the cause where the 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 true believers the hardcore the hardliners of that movement they would go to great lengths and they were the some of the most extreme um shall we say um operatives that's the way i want us that's how i'm gonna use the word operators they were the most extreme operators of any um of any certainly leftist type of activity at the time um the consistency the the global nature and the the the, the type of of um affinity cell decentralized uh, ethics based organizational structure of the shall we say um units that operated conducting direct action in the name of animal rights for animal liberation and for the furtherance of animal rights or in the absence of animal rights the necessity for acts of liberation um, for those animals who were not administered any rights yeah, now I look back and I say, I understand what I learned from, I can apply what I learned from the Your Brain on Porn research and I can think about how, well, no wonder that energy of invincibility that the military taps into when they recruit teenagers, the animal rights movement was an application of that same throw yourself into a meat grinder, throw yourself at full speed into a brick wall energy of youth. And, uh, you know, I was in the music scene, so it was like, yeah, stage dive and, and, and rush the riot barricades. You know, it was like all raw, natural, angst, energy, 
appropriately used in resistance. And um, for even the more austere, there was the those who would not use drugs or alcohol and pollute and contaminate their body temple when they had a clarity of focus and vision. And, and I still, to this day, I know that like most people who said that they were all about the revolution or the cause, they were partying, they were stage diving and not getting caught and they were blacked out with cracked skulls, bleeding and pissing and puking alcohol all over the, all over the floor at Gilman <laughs> while the real warriors were out there liberating animals, sober and operating like the best of the elite trained warriors using operational security, security culture, advanced communications technologies and, and encryption. And a lot of them were hackers and a lot of them were sophisticated in a lot of ways that, um, you know, you, you have to respect, even if you were their adversary in terms of being in law enforcement, you're going to say, wow, some of these people are not goofs. They're not fuck ups. They're hardcore. They're serious. And they're, and they're, and they're hard to catch. Um, they're good at what they do. Uh, it makes you, makes you have to work for it, for it. You know, you gotta find the dumb ones and the weak ones and the ones with kids and the ones that can be, you know, arm twisted. And then that's how, you know, they grand juried their way into the green scare and they brought down a lot of people and, you know, that is what it is, and it's mostly, you know, the rest is history now. I'm not going to um, directly endorse or not endorse anyone or any individual, but what, what I will say is that uh, the for me, the animal rights issue, it's something that I took risks i yeah i would say some of my most daring moments of my life were were in campaigns um deeply uh explicit animal rights campaigns were like that was the thing that we were trying to physically with direct action stop and it wasn't symbolic and it was very targeted you know and um and i, I will say that uh that I was smart about my judicious use of tactics that, that were um, non-felonious, shall we say. So here I am, clean record. Uh, but, but I do know that of all the causes that are the, the hardest to debate, the, you know, yeah, there's nuance, but there's nuance to vegan, vegetarian, but there's not nuance to animal torture and vivisection and... And and um, the farming of animals for for their other for animal products, whether or not you're torturing them in the name of science, on the side, or whether you're torturing them as the main event for science and then selling their products as the as the auxiliary revenue stream, whatever it is, all that perverse conduct. Now I see more than ever, just looking back on the passion of the animal rights warriors, 
And I go, to me, it was kind of like, yeah, there were some of us who felt like that's too single issue and that they're so hyper-focused. They're kind of like, it's almost like a form of escape. And we would even be cynical and say they're not social revolutionaries because they want to fight for, 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 um, they want to fight for, for entities that don't have a voice. They can't tell them to shut up, that they're a bunch of white privileged know-it-all wannabe warrior activists who shouldn't be speaking on behalf of some other oppressed group that they really don't have the right to speak for but there's but it's like so so the cynical view is that oh you're an animal rights activist because um because you don't have to engage and interface with the hard work of actually building alliances with indigenous people, building alliances with people of color if you're a white person or people of less economic privilege if you're a privileged person or whatever it is. We had this, I think, um, me and we being, I had a very elitist sort of insular group thinky community that I was a part of and that I'm very ashamed of its shadow tendencies, um, where, you know, everybody at a certain age range, you always think that you're better and you know more and whatever. You're just like no limits on how condescending you could be to other people. Now I, I, I don't feel that way. Like I want to, I want to find ways to respect and build bridges with everybody and understand everybody and I don't want to put anybody down and I want to just be self-critical um so that's kind of what I'm doing now is that like I'm steel manning what I used to straw man and I'm saying now you know I realize we we I think I think that uh, my group we were yeah, you could. It was easy to make fun of or to be condescending towards animal rights people because, because yeah, you could say, oh, look at them copping out and being escapist. Because look, it's easy to be a champion for for the cause of something that can't can't have its or doesn't have its own voice. But even that is like kind of speciesist in and of itself because like animals are always screaming, and they're always communicating. And sometimes, and some, and I would say, arguably more profound and, and complex ways than than we even know how to begin to even study scientifically or shamanically or whatever. And so, any way you look at it, um, we're we're it's perverse to to take that androcentric perspective. Anyway, so so now now I'm just I'm looking back and I'm saying like. I understand more than ever now why animal rights was like so so much harder and so much harder core than a lot of other stuff and now I realize that I was the fool and I was the the poser to to not do a better job of appreciating and understanding and I certainly had a lot of friends and like I said I was involved to a degree but then I kind of I became too cool for school in a sense and I joined the crowd that was like looking down on the more single issue focused activists because we wanted everybody to like march under our flag and that flag meant that yes animal rights is part of it but you have to kind of sign up to the to this bigger package and move on all these different fronts 
and whatever. It's just everyone's got their agenda. Everybody wants to be the vanguard of the revolution and they want to, they're not willing to accept like a broad coalition of actors. They want it. They don't, they want, they don't want an ensemble. They want, they've got the main character syndrome. You know, that's sadly the way a lot of leftist organizing worked in my experience and uh, I don't know what it's like on the right because I never organized on the right, but I I don't I don't know. I mean I think that we all we all act like we want inclusivity, transparency, and yeah, whatever leadership that's wholesome and 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 um, and not dictatorial. That um, has some sort of community, some sort of uh, democracy to it. But I think we all know it really comes down to, as my friend said once, who's fucking who and who's king of the hill. Just the the sexual politics of popularity within groups, the cult of personality, that's the real subtext in organizations. And the more it's populated with young people, the more that that's just goes with the territory. So just forget about it and now at my age in my 40s i'm like you know what my job is to do now it's just to stay out stay stay the fuck out of the way of the next generation let them do what they got to do have fun have a good time paint the town red get in trouble be stupid blackout whatever it is like if they ask me for advice, I'll tell them what I think I would do differently if I had a second chance. But I'm not going to get in their way and I'm not going to try to interfere, inter- intervene in what they're doing. That's not, <laughs> I don't want to waste my energy on that. But but my, my point being that uh, yeah, bless bless all of that chaotic um, hormonal energy that gets behind a cause and and just more power to them you know more 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 power to everybody you know what i mean if 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 you're trying to do good and you're not doing harm like i don't know how else to put it i'm not going to invoke any commandments or anything like that but to me you're av- you're an advocate you're trying to expose things. You're trying to give rights and promote justice. You know, um, there are very few things that I find distasteful or offensive or disagreeable that that operate under those things. And I and I accept that there's going to be all of this shadow narcissism, all these shadow things. Like I just accept it. I don't. I'm not trying to fight it. I'm not trying to have some sort of uh, burn sage to like to like ward off the evil spirits of it or anything like it just is what it is I'm accepting of that and I just look at it from a permaculture perspective it's just like energy you know it's all energy some of it has these invisible structures that are shaped by language and laws and policies and whatnot some of it has built structures and whatnot that can be redesigned and whatnot. So as a designer, what's my systems thinking to it? Now, now thinking about animal rights and coming at this from a perspective of where I'm framing this topic, um, this topic of <laughs> what's coming up for me in the process of real, really rewilding, not on paper, 
not on the weekend, not theoretically, not as a form of artistic expression, but the reality of going feral and rewilding on every physical level. That's it's it's biological. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what I've been doing for the last three years. And um and I'm literally, yeah, shedding all of the urban, psychological and physical, the toxins, I'm shedding all of the 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 postures, the the, the uh eyes in the back of my head, all of the habits, I mean, the the psychological and the physiological, the psychosomatic, the the, the chemical, uh, the neurochemical, whatever, purging, all this stuff. I am actually on that process, in that process of rewilding. Um, and, and, and I'm discovering more and more how... how difficult it is to reconcile rewilding with the uh invisible structures as we say in permaculture of of the of the legality of the modern world and modern medicine and this is definitely the um the sort of battlefield the battle lines of the animal rights movement and the anti-vivisection movement and um yeah, I'm going to that's why I'm going to I'm going to enjoy like really stepping fully into my my heart space with this topic because it's something that that I sort of um I compartmentalize and I just kind of said, okay, well that's you know, I my, I have friends who are that like that's their thing and I love them and I respect them and even if even if for a time I kind of like made fun of them behind, behind their backs, I still still love them and still respect them and now I don't make fun of them and now I respect them and love them even more and I and I and I would apologize to them even you know for for just ever having that energy of disrespect and that's kind of what I'm doing right now is I'm I'm making that apology to the whole movement because now I see it in a more profound way. And, and, and now from a permaculture perspective, from an older, aged, wiser perspective, and now from a re- rewilding perspective that's not theoretical, but that I'm out here and I say to myself, like, yeah, all my friends now, they're not people, they're wild animals, they're wild spirits, they're the 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 moths that drink beads of sweat off of my body and tickle me all throughout the night in the warm season and the coyotes that come by and visit me on on the daily almost and the things i learned from them and the birds and the sounds and i mean you know i'm completely completely embedded deep within total wilderness and um yeah, whatever. I'm not going to rewrite Thoreau's Walden's Pond. You know, I'm not going to... Uh, I don't need to spend a lot of time... I've already spent a lot of time talking about a lot of that. This is more about, like, th- thinking from, from this perspective now that I have about about animal rights, something that was long 
compartmentalized and long sort of like delegated out. It's out of sight, out of mind. It's not my single issue cause. I know people are doing that cause and, you know, more power to them or whatever. But um, the reason that it comes up for me now, actually, there was, I mean, I I think about it every time I hear about, you know, any kind of drug development study. I certainly got to the financial freedom I I have now by levering up through investments and doing it on the back of vivisection. I was a lab rat and every drug that they tested on me that I was a lab rat for, I was basically in solidarity with all of the animals that the drug was tested on before me. At the very least, I was transmuting that blood money into the natural energy to heal the earth. And I think that I have attempted to honor the spirits of all the animals that were tortured in the medical studies that were the prerequisite for me to be in the human trials. And I've transmuted and alchemized that blood money and took my little slice of it, my little drop of it, and I've created a sanctuary for wildlife where I'm nurturing wildlife and I'm creating more life than I ever enslaved or destroyed or that I have blood on my hands for the vivisection legacy of of the capital that I acquired. I took the capital out of the system, I put it into the earth bank, now I'm doing regenerative permaculture in in the wild and I'm nurturing wildlife um, with 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 all of the the byproducts of my existence that are beneficial to the environment and I can only add value and not take away or destroy or pollute or toxify the environment if I live by the permaculture principles that I have been taught that I have no excuse to not know about or not know better than because I have been taught and I have the certificate, so I better know and have no excuse now. But with that said, yeah, there was a, something that came up for me was this, um, somebody brought up a reference, and it wasn't, I mean, they, these were not demented mad scientists or callous researchers, whatever they like people, even, even very well-meaning, even very conscionable, sensible people, even bleeding heart liberals will, will make reference to sort of, um, chimp experiments about psychology and, and they won't really consider it animal torture. You know, it's not like there's, it's not like it's the same as like peeling back their, their skull, cap and inserting electrodes and all the images that were on album covers you know and patches growing up in the punk scene that that was that's vivisection that's you know really truly invasive torture um but but you know a little more benign on the spectrum they are being warehoused they are being imprisoned and they are being bred in captivity and whatnot but obviously it's a little less demonic and diabolical these psychological studies but anyway this the reason i'm even having this this moment right now is that uh you know it was a very it was an innocuous well-meaning analogy that was being made in someone in 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 a conversation um wherever i was hearing it online you know they brought up they they brought up the the classical study where they they had monkeys, probably chimpanzees, where they, they, 
this is so like such a circus tragedy it's it's absurdism but it's also heartbreaking so i'm like crying laughing laughing crying kind of thing um but they they would set these they would set these monkeys up and they would have them um climb i believe it was climb a ladder to get a banana and as they're climbing that ladder they would blast them with water and you know i i really hope it wasn't so disorienting or so in so made it so dangerous that they would actually fall i just think there was just an annoyance and a deterrent so that they would they would um they would they you know they were using the carrot to incentivize them to get go up the ladder and I, yeah i don't think it was like sadistic i would hope not i would hope that it was somewhat ethical but but whatever like they the the the, the object the objective was to just um induce them induce induce them through an obstacle with the incentive of 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 a of a banana but then have this deterrent force that was you know not lethal which is water but it was unpleasant um and so that they would they they would first in a group they would witness each other getting uh blasted with the hose or just hosed down until they all would basically get the memo that they that it was it would advise to do that and they would stop doing it like the negative reinforcement worked in the study and so that what would what what was logically um the the next um step of the study was that if you were to bring um if you were to bring new monkeys into that that had not witnessed that before that they would that they would they observed that the monkeys would would hold, pull and hold back the new monkey from making that mistake and learning for themselves what was about to happen like they see the monkey comes in they see a ladder and 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 a banana they don't know that that there's that hose that could be blasting them and the other monkeys that have already had that experience they have that new monkey's back and they hold them back and prevent them from going up there and then what they the next phase of that experiment was to say what happens when you rotate out all of the monkeys so that none of them anymore are left that ever actually witnessed the original act the original they never had the experience themselves nor did they witness the experience themselves and all it is is the the monkeys who were dissuaded from climbing the the ladder to get the banana and 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 they never they never had the visceral experience and then then however the lore and the legend was passed down whether it was just purely physical interruption and and, and whether there was no meta narrative shared between the monkeys about hey those jerk humans are playing an experiment on us and they're not letting us get a banana and they're spraying us with a hose they're probably trying to do some kind of this is probably some psych students you know uh final paper or doctoral thesis or some master's project or whatever it is like who knows what their lore or legend or what their story is about how it gets passed down but eventually gets to a point where even when the stimulus is gone that lingers and so that's sort of like a mimetic 
residual effect that perpetuates itself uh, in the absence of the original stimulus. And, and I think people use that in conversation now to talk about things where it's like, well, maybe, maybe there was a guardrail from a time of heightened alertness around certain geopolitical events to where we need to not be so, maybe the word is Pavlovian, people would even say by another similar sort of, you know, reference to an animal study, um, but that's that's sort of the point. It's just like, oh, this like maybe obsolete mimetic sequence that we might want to question once in a while, or at least we have that that study to reference back to. So when I thought when I heard them say that, I'm like, yeah, I think I've been, I think I've heard of that before. You know, I don't think it's the most evil thing that's ever been done on the planet Earth. I also thought to myself, well, damn. I hope they I hope they gave them a banana split. I hope they gave them a full banana meal after that. You know, I hope they all got hooked up. And and, and I said to myself like, "Damn, I wonder what the I wonder how how um sweet-hearted like the conductor of that experiment was." I would like to think they were as sweet as the female protagonist in the film Project X, which was probably my first real deep imprint for animal rights consciousness. And that film really was moving and gripping for me as as a, as a, as a, as a child. The music, the storyline, the characters, the human characters, um, just the whole thing was like, was so powerful and one of the most impactful films of of my childhood and um i really do want to i do really want to watch that again it's been a long time but i know i loved it i watched it repeatedly i had it in my collection and um and i i consider it was it was like a, a, a workout for the soul to watch that even as a child i knew that you know that this was important to develop this critique of callousness within the military and callousness towards other forms of life and other animals and and the need for the a feminine sensibility to i mean that was very hardcore the animal liberation you know that was uh Matthew Broderick and um and other stars who, whose names I'm not as uh, as, um, as 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 good at remembering, but with that said, yeah, that was the thing that brought this up for me, and now the sort of thing I want to reconcile verbally for myself in this sort of therapeutic session, solo therapy session for myself. Hopefully, if you're listening, you're deriving some benefit from. If maybe you're just studying me, and maybe I'm the animal now. But <laughs> however, whatever, however it works out, my perspective now, being more deeply embedded in the wilderness than I ever have been, and I've spent time in the wilderness, you know, at length, but not for this many years straight, um, and not with this degree of total human solitude to where 
yeah, language older than words and spell the sensuous and this, like, speaking in grunts and clicks. Like, that's kind of like my life now, other than this right now. This is like the only verbalization that I do besides an occasional um, sounding off with swear words because I stub a toe or whatever. I'm just aching, back aching and belly aching and just shouting profanities, you know, trying not to have Tourette's and dementia yet. But uh, with no one around and no one to offend, you know, I I, I can be, you know, I I can sound my barbaric yelp but most of, most of it is not swear words. Most of it really is like grunts and clicks. And the primal scream is just sort of this continuum. And um, that's where I'm at. So when I think about like, I think about animal rights and I think about, you know, that, that coming up and me saying like, you know what, I should really, because this is coming up a lot for me, reconciling the paradox of modernity and rewilding the paradox of permaculture and 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 conventional farming and agri- chem ag and uh and domestication all these things and i try to understand for myself like why i mean now now it's not theoretical because i'm on the other side of it i'm doing permaculture i'm living in the wild i'm 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 de-domesticating, I'm going feral, I'm rewilding, I'm doing regenerative agriculture. So I'm so embedded in in the zero waste um no you know, no certainly no new plastic and and less and less old plastic, but yeah, I mean there's this there every day I get more wild and less domesticated. Period. And and less toxic, not more toxic inside and out and more imbalance and more interwoven and more compounding value in the earth bank investing my waste products into into more elaborate design systems to create more abundance for an entire ecosystem so yeah in that flow i look at things like the compromises and the hypocrisies and the paradoxes that exist in the urban world, in the modern world, in the civilized world, in the domesticated world, in the the tame world, in the non-rewilded world. And where it, the, the, where it gets the least romantic and the most disturbing and the most problematic is when you talk about You talk about either abolishing or just sort of trying to diminish or detach from or to extricate oneself from the medical industrial complex. And so, and and, and medicine and all of the, um, what, what, what modern medicine, the double-edged sword of modern medicine, which is, yeah, it can it, it it can be miraculous in certain ways but it comes at a cost it comes there's a financial cost there's a there is a ecological footprint to all of that 
plastic and all of those machines and all of every that whole monstrosity that is the medical industrial complex if the only logic is well the business, the, the the corporate bottom line obviously is the thing driving most of the medical studies the drug research obviously the allopathic pathology of of designing and building and profiting on disease and basically the maintenance of disease and the prolonging of life in a diseased state so that you basically make a slot machine out of everybody's aging process for big pharma, whatever. Like, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's pretty common knowledge that we're basically being, you know, fattened up for the kill, but it's going to be a slow milking for many decades that we may not have even have lived before. But these are going to be what well, one doctor said recently, which I thought was very profound and insightful, where you said what what the what developments in modern medicine have done, certainly things like germ theory and, and, and the, the microscope and, and the development of, of vaccines and, and whatnot, um, uh, what, the, what's that, what that's done and obviously just the evolution of medical technology and medical devices and all those things, which, which I'm not trying to demonize. I'm just trying to acknowledge and, 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 and think through philosophically and not just be all blindly embracing all of it, but actually being critical and having a critical thought process. Um, and then, and then being at a point where, yeah, I want to pick and choose and I want to, I want to de-risk and I want to, I want to budget and I want to also think about my karma and my soul and my ethics. And I want to think about how do you, how do you have a la carte modern medicine that doesn't implicate you to have all the blood in your hands with all the stuff. So one, one of the things that this doctor said was he said, you know, we, we, we went from what modern medicine really does, what to put it simply is like, it made it so that whereas we all used to die pretty fast deaths from infectious disease mostly whether from plague or just normal sort of exposure to poor sanitation throughout the middle ages uh, the medieval times um, all throughout urbanization history of civilization yeah, ever since domestication, animal husbandry, you're getting diseases from animals, you're not washing your hands, you're throwing your excrement and your urine out the window on paved streets and flies and vectors and rats and all kinds of things are just creating this compounding pathogenic soup and that's called civilization and that's what it was like before the, the flush toilet and sewage systems and water water filtration purification and and all the things that we take for granted that is actually more significant than hospitals and surgeries and all that kind of stuff like those whatever medical breakthroughs have extended the human average lifespan and worked to minimize disease outbreaks um Really, it's the sanitation, sewage, and, and what like all of that. The the plumbing is really the revolution that 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 allowed for that 
compounding pathogenic load to dissipate more more safely. Um, but what he said was that it's going from what used to be a you know very fast deaths to now just we can prolong the state of 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 pathology the pathophysiology of a disease state we can we're now we're not dying we're not dying as much of fast deaths like blunt trauma and bleed outs and infections that uh, bacterial systemic infections sepsis and whatnot yeah we're not dying of those fast killers so much so what does that leave that leaves us to live long enough to have these arcs of disease progression where we're going to be laid up for possibly decades and just be milked by you know the hospital um, business model hospitalization and all that so you know it's not I'm not going to go off into my political philosophy of death with dignity and all that kind of stuff that's that's a whole other topic but where where it comes to this topic at hand of animal rights and the paradoxes and the hard problems to reconcile about rewilding and and a lifestyle that says you know out of respect for for the earth out of respect for my all my relations i don't i i don't i would like to have it only be the ultimate last resort for anything that I do as a medical procedure or intervention in my life to have ever had anything to do with animal testing and vivisection, basically. And, and I say to myself now, yeah, obviously, any drug, any vaccine, there's no escaping that legacy. So, of course, yes, those are all already sort of by default kind of last resort things or i mean yeah if you're trying to be if you're into natural healing or energy healing or whatever it is yeah you're not going to go to the allopathic remedies first you're going to see if you can work with herbs work with a natural path whatever and you're going to try to be non-toxic and certainly you're going to work with traditions that never required that torturous legacy of animal testing like a deeply intrinsically embedded in in the law of the development of that medical procedure or that medical device or that medical chemical drug pharmaceutical intervention or whatever that's you know that's kind of a given so but for now the reason why i bring this up is i i actually say to myself like I wonder, I'm sure that the research has been done. I didn't avail myself of it, but I probably will now that I'm sort of opening up this topic for myself. But I do think it's very interesting to imagine, like, as a, I'm not going to say sovereign citizen because that has its own connotations, but, you know, I'm an adult. I don't have any dependents. For all intents and purposes, the state is not liable to protect me from myself medically the, the way that it did, it, the, the way that it had that responsibility or my guardians had that responsibility when I was a minor. Like, that's gone. Training wheels are off. Liabilities 
the cover your ass liabilities for the state and for guardians, that's off when you're 18. And you only add that on to yourself again if you have dependents or that you have, you're a guardian or, or you have dependents, right? So I chose to have a vasectomy. I do not have any stepchildren. I'm not responsible legally for anyone. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking through all these ethics from this unique category of being um, able to explore the, the legal the legal space of rewilding without having all these um, these intrinsic implicit obligations to say, for example, like, yeah, for me as an adult, if I choose to die a natural death out here in the wilderness without tapping out and and, and having a life flight take me out to get, whether it's rehydrated or, um, or anti-venomed or, or um, splinted or, or um, uh, vaccinated or, or, or uh, antifungal, uh, an, uh, antibiotic, whatever it is. Like if I choose to be a... Um, a modern medical resistor, whether it's in the name of animal rights, impartially it would be, whether it's in the name of like, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be dragged into that system where I become in perpetual debt. And I also don't want to be exposed to uh, candidate, candida oris, uh, if that's the word for it. I don't want to be in a place where the diseases are compounding amongst a population of immunocompromised people who are being fed a carcinogenic, obesogenic diet of actually highly um, candida um, feeding foods. Like I know hospital food because I've been in the hospital more than most healthy, normal people because I was a lab rat over the course of many years, not full time. But, you know, I don't know how many times a year, I don't know how many times I've done it, but I know hospital food. I know the tragic, corrupt irony that that whole thing is. And I'm not trying to go off on a tinfoil conspiracy theory hat thing. I'll just say, because because I don't allow non-medical anarchists on my property and I don't have any dependents and I don't even have any animals that I am domesticating as pets or livestock that I am legally responsible to care for that would force me to put them into medical custody, to put them under the auspices of regimes of antibiotics and vaccinations, you know, that's a real thing. Like you can't just be a uh, rebel farmer, right? Like Joel Salatin, everything you want to do is illegal. They will come and say, no, you have to go into the virus congested, urban, domesticated, uh, 
compounding disease-infested zone to go shoot up your livestock and punch punch them with a tag or whatever that says that they got vaccinated and on the way back you can track in a million pathogens back to your rebel farm you know or you can be fined out of existence um, for not complying or whatever so yeah you i look at it as like how do i if i want to play the game of rewilding and if I want to, what I want to call medical anarchism, and I want to have no more blood on my hands, and I want to die free and die ethically and die with no more blood on my hands than I already have, then I'm free to do it as long as I don't have pets, animals, or children that I intrinsically sign up with the government to take responsibility for to where I will be criminally liable if I do not follow the letter of the law of administering modern medicine to them, furnishing that to them and furnishing um, reasonable, whatever. I'm not, I don't even know exactly, I'm not like trying to recite any laws here, but I'm just saying I know that this is, um, prudent like a a reasonable and prudent person would acknowledge that if anyone is like if they pick up a hitchhiker they have a duty of care to that hitchhiker you know if they have a visitor in their condo they have a duty of care if you live on rural land there are legal explicit and i've looked into them if you have you know a hazard you have to it has to be communicated you know, there's nuance to law about that. And, but you have to be aware of that, you know. So be, be aware that, um, you know, it's not just like, oh, you're in unincorporated county land and therefore anything goes. No, it doesn't work like that. So you have a conscience, you're going to understand that there are ways that your conscience and the law actually have they interface at certain points and sometimes you're going to be okay with that sometimes you're not but it behooves you to look into that and i certainly do i'm on a point now of risk aversion where i say like because the stakes are so high yeah i don't i don't like i can choose myself to abstain from that funnel that that pushes all of us into the modern medical um, hamster wheel, debt cycle, downward spiral of poor health and dying in a hospital and going bankrupt and bankrupting future generations and dying in debt. Like, sorry, just put it that way. It's kind of bleak. Yeah. But hey, you know what that does? Net benefit for public health and safety. Because if that means I'm more mindful uh, of what I eat and how carefully I walk and how carefully, you know, I handle things and try not to cut myself, how I use my, that when I'm chopping vegetables, the way I layer my, my, my uh, non-dominant hand flat over the hand that's doing the chopping, right? Like things like that are what it means to be a, like a proactive, what I would call medical anarchist. And I don't want to impose those levels of austerity and those lifestyle changes on anyone else who is not already 
on board with this type of thinking and therefore I don't have pets, I don't have livestock and I don't have I don't have miners as guests and I don't have really any guests and I wouldn't have any guests who are adults not accompanied by miners or pets or livestock who are of sound mind and where if we if we raise a glass we're going to do it in a little zoo that I build around us so that we don't go fall into a ditch while we're drunk you know what I'm saying like you're going to be a medical anarchist then that means you got to put yourself in a little zoo cage if you're going to be inebriated if you're going to check out of your responsibility to be the the medic you know um, so anyway yeah with this animal rights thing I asked I asked to myself I say to myself what what do you have to what is a list of things that you would have to avoid and you would have to abstain from you would have to disavow the way that a person would claim a religious exemption from a vaccination requirement or mandate or religious exemption from a certain um, teaching in the school like oh, my, my, my kids don't go to school that day because my religion says we don't want them to experience that module of evolution or whatever whatever it is like I'm not trying to have this my, the spirit of this is not so that I can have a a religious cult based on medical anarchism that may be what anybody could call it but I would just say I'm more of an animist I'm not trying to make real strict theological rules but ethically for me I would like to say that uh, you know I don't like the idea that uh, every well just it's it's de facto if you have pets minor dependents or livestock animals you are de facto obligated to participate in the in the in the in the economy of animal torture and vivisection because you, even if you don't want to take meds or you don't want to get examined or you don't want to play that game you are legally obligated to furnish all of whatever is available you can't take any of that away from 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 pets um livestock or or dependents minors you you, you can't or, or or even guests who are adults right like that's, that's 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 the whole point of what i'm saying so to to um if if you were to say to yourself i want nothing more to do with the karmic shadow uh, and the blood on the hands of vivisection well yeah if you're an animal rights activist and you get bludgeoned by the riot cops and you go to the hospital you're probably not going to say no i will i'm going to do a hunger strike if you don't feed me vegan and i'm going to do a medicine strike because none of the fucking meds that you're going to administer me in the infirmary they're all tested on animals therefore i'm gonna just bleed out i'm not gonna take any drugs that you might give me i i actually i bet there are people who have who have taken that stand and um again i'm gonna say more power to them for that 
because in my heart of hearts I know, yeah, to stand in solidarity to that degree, yeah, I think my life is worth um, being martyred or sacrificed in the name of all of the animals that get tortured. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to go and throw myself against brick walls and into riot cop meat grinders the way that I did when I was in my 20s. That's for the next generation to do. There's enough fodder for that meat grinder now, you know? And there always will be, and that's just the way it is. I paid my dues. I came out with without brain damage or... Um, losing a limb or losing the functionality of a limb and that is a miracle from what I was exposed to and what what danger I put myself in in those front lines um, during that time and you know what I, I'm not going to do it again and uh, and it's for the whippersnappers the spring chickens the next generation up and comers you know that's their job I did I paid my dues and more power to you but uh but i think about it now more about like just staying out of trouble not getting entangled with the law not getting in a standoff with any three-letter agencies not getting on the shit list of any form of an enforcement agency and i realize that the way to do that is not by being this loud, agitating, law-breaking, Dennis the Menace. No, it's just like, have some land, do your thing within the, um, within the, 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 the granted range of what you can do that doesn't even require permit, permitting or any kind of registration. And if you know permaculture, then you should be able to like not only thrive in a human ecological system that you design that's abundant, but you should actually also be able to create a market garden that can produce profitable income and still not have to, um, for all intents and purposes, like do a whole lot of red tape with permitting because you're doing things at a scale that doesn't really necessitate, um, you know, pulling building permits, for example, or, or having, you know, having giant flocks of things and whatnot. For me, I'm at an extreme point where I'm like, I don't want to be responsible even for any livestock that would, that would make it so that just by having that livestock on site, you become, um, it's like inviting the vampire in because just the fact that you have that livestock on your on your site, it gives the state full authority at any time to come in for any reason and do an inspection because they have to make sure that you aren't propagating bird flu or of some kind, a new strain or whatever, which is, you know, honestly, it's perfectly legitimate and that's them doing their job rightfully so if they're going to contain outbreaks. Hopefully they're not just spreading it around as they do it and hopefully they've got best practices around that but uh that's a whole nother discussion but the whole point being like for me yeah i don't want to be myself liable for claims of animal abuse or neglect for not participating in the medical industrial complex 
when I'm legal, when I would be legally obligated to. So, but I can break free and be a hermit and just be in my own little private, personal, adult standoff with the whole system, and die alone, <laughs> like with no more blood on my hands, a vivisection. That's fine, and no one's gonna come and stop me from doing that, as long as I don't harm anyone else, and I don't um, actively, knowingly, intentionally accelerate my natural process of dying a natural death you know what I mean if I die a natural death and my intention was only to die a natural death then really that's not illegal yet like you don't have to go in and prove that you care to live on an annual basis and prove that uh you know that you're not allowing yourself to just slowly um, be eaten alive by some cancer or whatever. No one's forcing you to go and, you know, I mean, if you're if if the if if you if you're if you have an uh, insurance policy, yes, there's going to be rules around that. But if you go off the rails, and right now I'm fucking totally off the rails, and I'm not making any 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 claims. I'm not giving any advice. This is not medical advice, not legal advice. This is maybe karmic. Um, I don't. I don't know if I would say advice, but it's it's karmic um, philosophy that I'm talking now. Because you can talk about rewilding, and that could become the hippest trend since veganism or since animal rights or whatever. But the hard problem and what's paradoxical and irreconcilable and where it gets really ugly really fast is when you start to say, oh yeah, what about the fact that if you're wild and you're post-plastic and you're post-toxic and you're post-animal torture and you're post-domestication then a lot of the things that most people take for granted about urgent care and hospitalization, things that most people take for granted about going to the vet, and the things most people grant, take for granted about even having kids and having them integrate with society and, and, and be... Um, current with all of the vaccinations that are mandatory, yeah, like it's um, rewilding is no joke, and it's not. It's it's it sounds good on paper, and it sounds nice and quaint and cutesy and utopian, but I'm speaking from it from the reality of it, and and uh, and I, I I recognize things about how how the the romanticism even of permaculture is like sort of the bubble is burst when you hear about things like this guy who says yeah i went to bill mollison's food forests you know in whatever it was um tanzania or australia or i can't remember whichever one of the tagari farms i believe is where it was and he says yeah there are giant snakes 
in those overgrown pathways of sweet potatoes and everything. Yeah, you grow, you grow a food forest, you grow a food jungle, that's exactly what you're going to get. And you're going to be living in the laws of the jungle at that point. So you better, you know, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you design. So, you know, this idea of like public food, public food forests, yeah, it looks good in the town hall meeting. It looks good on the plaque and it looks good on the grant proposal. But when the neighbors complain about the raccoons that you're attracting and the rodents in the compost pile and all of these even vectors of disease, it's like, yeah, you introduce a island of wilderness in the city. Of course, that's a green belt. That's a beautiful net benefit to ecology. That's a sanctuary for monarch butterflies and all of these check the box plus 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 everything is great except for the fact of the shadow that you don't want to acknowledge which is the reality that you want wildness you're going to get you're not going to get the cute cuddly critters wildness you're going to get the rabies wildness you know what I mean you're going to get the snake bite wildness and you're going to get Eventually, you will get balance and homeostasis. But it's like nobody is prepared to lose one out of ten children to a lion. You know, like no one's prepared to uh, approach the rewilding, fashionable, trendy, utopian, hipster thing with with a with a, a, a an honest assessment of that blind spot of what rewilding actually entails which is like in a very practical sense if you go out into the wild and you're outside of the golden hour of access to urgent medical care or, or emergency room then you will probably die of a bee sting or bleed out or um if it's possible for you, yeah, for, for if it's a life-threatening illness or injury at an acute stage that, you know, you would have, typically you would die within an hour. Well, if you're an hour out of range, then that's the golden hour and you were dead now. So that's the easy way to to rewild and get some blood off your hands is just go far away. But um, but the, the the deeper concern is like, well, if you're going to rewild and build off-grid communities and do eco-village development and rewild, then like how much of a, how much reach of that conventional system of medicine that's built on animal torture and abuse and how much of that legal liability are you going to be exposed to and risk and compliance liability that you're going to be exposed to civil and criminal that's the dance and that's to me this is like this um, that interface that I'm exploring so yes when people think about rewilding I don't think they the first thing that comes to mind is oh well but that's going to make it very costly to try to like 
try to game the system of liability and compliance when it comes to like, yeah, they don't, your insurance company, health insurance company is not going to think it's cute that you were rewilding when you got hurt. They're not going to think it's cute. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, animal welfare authorities are not going to think it's cute that you were rewilding when your dog got injured and you didn't immediately uh, take them to a veterinarian to get every form of modern medical treatment that's possible no matter what at no matter what cost that's what you sign up for and that is the trippy paradox that it is is like every time no matter no matter what the ethical no matter how toxic and violent the new medical technology is once it exists you are de facto obligated to pay whatever it costs to access that because you do not have the right with children pets livestock guests humans whatever only as you as only as an adult who is not knocked out and in an ambulance where you lose the right there i read the i I studied the emt training courses and it's like they have to give you one basically one last procedural chance to like refuse to be treated but if you were not conscious or you were not able-minded for whatever reason at that point that's when they have the authority to override that's when they consider it like a moot point that you don't have that you that, that basically you've that your state of unconsciousness waves the right you would have had to refuse whatever the most modern expensive blood soaked karmically incorrect shadow vivisection toxic whatever it is thing that they just invented now that you're blacked out they get to violate you financially and ethically with whatever it is and <laughs> that's why like i carry the that's why i'm like okay if i ever go back out into civilization i'm going to carry with me a clipboard i'm going to hang a clipboard from my neck that says i do not consent to this 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 and that no matter wh- how far back my eyes are rolled back in my head like here is me checking that box for you do not administer this form of care to me let me die let me suffer whatever it is because i'd rather die than wake up finding out that you just stole my nest egg in perpetuity and you bankrupted me for generations you know what i mean so sorry to be cynic hopefully you get a little bit of a george carlin-esque kind of comedic uh comic relief out of what way i'm approaching this but on a on a serious note and an ethical note to wrap this up you know i i say we human beings we're not the top of the totem pole and a lot of indigenous cultures to this day still acknowledge the fact that at best we are very low on the totem pole and everything that got us this far in our um story of being an animal walking the earth like we owe it all to what we learned by observing and living in partnership 
with our animal relatives on the spiritual and on the physical planes. And so we wear their skins. We learn what to eat and what not to eat by watching them. We ethically harvest um, some of their products in, a, in, a, in, a, in an indigenous context. Um, if we do eat them in indigenous context, we will be eating every part of them and using every part of them respectfully and not wasting them or stripping them for parts. There is a way to live with nature and there is a way to live to not to live now with nature way of balance way of imbalance i'm not going to try to uh, butcher quotes and 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 uh and sentiments there's plenty of those out there but i think it's it's worth noting that thinking through these paradoxes of rewilding permaculture, food forestry, animal rights. Like, if we're serious as, I don't know what you consider yourself to be, I'm talking about, in this forum, I'm talking about permaculture, which if you were a student of permaculture with a permaculture design certificate, then it is... It's intrinsic, it's axiomatic for me to say the end point is to have a non-toxic, zero-waste, fully rewilded existence where you do not pollute or negatively impact the natural environment that you, that you um, harmoniously collaborate with and design yourself into in a way that you are very humbled by the diseases the parasites the wild animals the weapons that wild animals have that you don't and you shrink your distorted mechanical toxic chemical tactical advantage over wildness and you surrender those toxic and mechanical what john trudeau called called the uh, mechanical uncleanliness of civilization permaculture is extremist in the sense that while it may, it may be a continuum and you may be using the the uh, the 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 scaffolding of the ruins of the toxic and the mechanical, the old, or the, uh, we, we may be cannibalizing the ruins of the civilized world to get back to the wild, to get back to Eden, if you will. But that end point is to be regenerating organically and not be regenerating rare earth minerals and not be mining and not be, we're not going to be, when everything when all of the when all of the 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 metal rusts away, and possibly even when all the gra the glass breaks, and like there are things we will be able to maintain, like ceramics and glasswork, I would I would uh, I would suggest, and possibly some forms of metallurgy, to a degree, uh, if that can be properly managed ethically without 
a whole lot of a toxic side effect. I believe there's got to be some maybe Bronze Age sweet spot of very low toxic um, externalities. And I would love to, yeah, that's what I'm exploring with this movement. But anybody who is a permaculture designer, you don't have to be a leftist. You don't have to be an environmental wingnut. You don't have to be an animal rights wingnut. You don't have to be militant, whatever. But you acknowledge that, like, you're cheating the planet that you live on if you were living in an, in an unsustainable fashion that produces toxins. And in the way I would put it, you, you, you destroy more life than you create or you poison more life than you heal. You know, so for me, I'm trying to create more life than I destroy. I'm trying to heal more life than I poison. And like where all of that gets thrown out the fucking window is the second you personally interface with modern medicine or when you were legally or, or ethically um, compelled or both. And that's why I'm saying, that's what, just going to side, important side note. That's why I'm saying like, I'm avoiding the, the, um, the, the duty of care of those other, um, of those other types of, of folks and animals because, um, because I know that I would be opening myself to that liability to feed them back into the system and potentially feed myself back into the system in that way. So if I want to avoid that, there's an easy way to do that. Just be a hermit and go solo. And the fruits of that will be that I get to talk about it from experience and not from a utopian theoretical future vision. This is the truth. This is the reality. And I will tell you, it is a sacrifice. There are ways that it is fun. There are ways that it is not fun. Um, but it really puts in context this idea that, like, I don't know. I mean, if the SCC will not let you sign a liability waiver, waiver to speculate on meme cryptocurrencies and you are forced to be protected by their paternalistic regime, I don't see any future near future where you are going to get to waive your right to be um, governed by the laws that force you to, if not necessarily for push yourself into the, into the medical industrial complex almost under all circumstances, but definitely force you with criminal and civil liabilities that can be devastating if you were ever responsible for any any other sentient being practically you're, you're like i said a million times already you're intrinsically responsible to feed them into that system so until if and until you expatriate to the middle of nowhere or to a country where you no one cares like no one is coming after you and hunting you down with clipboards you know there are places on earth where you could expa you could expatriate and they will not care whatsoever you know what you yeah 
what you do with yourself, you know, how you, I mean, there's places where they don't care if, and I, I'm not like, I mean, we're, we're just, whatever, criminal activity flourishes that exploits and abuses the entire spectrum of life and where the authorities are actually in on it and you and they would be bribed by you like so you could go to the polar opposite where where it's like um it's not only sanctioned but it's profitable and it's like um the authorities are actually in on it you know what i mean like i don't care to be part of any of that i'm not trying to do anything sketchy i'm just trying to do me and be left alone and do no harm and I'm not even commercializing anything at this point. Just, just to have that much less liability attack surface at this point in my life. Enjoy my early semi-retirement and have very little attack surface. So yeah, <laughs> in the spirit of wrapping up, with all those sidebars and derailments and tangents, the, the spirit is that we're low on the totem pole. The less blood on the hands, the less blood on my hands, the better. The less compliance, liability, the better for me personally. And it's not easy. It's not clean cut. It's not cutesy and quaint. And rewilding is a hard problem. And maybe it is just something to do on a camping trip on the weekends because for most people, for all intents and purposes, you, you, you're not going to be able to, um, to, to, to like break off of that leash. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's, you know, like I'm not saying that it's wise to do that. I'm not advising anyone to do that. I'm saying that if you think it's, if the fantasy is to break that leash and to rewild, then you listen to this and you go, mm, maybe not. So maybe don't, maybe don't romanticize rewilding unless you're ready to think through a lot of these, a lot of these um, hard problems the way that I'm thinking them through. And if you're somebody who has thought them through and you say, you know what? Actually, what I've done is I've created a legal document that is the waiver that you're saying doesn't exist. And yeah, I'll come on your land and I will give you a copy of my liability waiver that goes even above and beyond your liability waiver that says, you know, you don't, I mean, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not even going to I'm not even, I'm stopping myself from even putting my foot in my foot in my mouth now. But that would be awesome if some lawyer who, or someone who has a lawyer's friend says, yeah, this is the rewilding, this is the rewilding liability waiver. Not the, oh, if you, you know, if you get injured, um, you know, on the field trip at the farm, then you know, you can't sue us, but we will rush you to the hospital. No, this is the like rewilding liability waiver where like we're letting the chips fall where they may and we're going to, as if it was a, like I made this joke to myself, okay, this is the final joke. Like they did man, woman, wild 
I don't know if they've if they have done or will do man woman rewild, but if they did, it would be a high stakes game show reality TV show where it's like, okay, when you tap out, then we will life flight you out of here. But the objective is that not tapping out means you're rewilding, and that means no more crutches of anything from the, from the domesticated world because this is rewilding now. So it's either half-assed, poser, weekend warrior rewilding, or it's the real deal. And if you're going to do the real deal, yes, you can tap out, but you don't get your, you know, but then you lose. So man, woman, rewild, man versus rewild, whatever you want to call it, like, I'm not going to fight you over the trademark now. Someone may have already have it, but there you have it. Let's let's think beyond. Let's think about animal rights. Let's think about androcentrism. Let's think about modern modern medicine, the med- medical industrial complex and and these these political economies and and political ecologies. That's that's what I'm here to to think about. Um until I get eaten alive and with no modern medicine at my disposal. Cheers.